0: tadekam Tadikam smarāmas Tadekam hajāmah Tadikam jagat sākshi rūpam namāmah Tadikam nidhānam nirālam vamesham Bhavām bodhiputam sharanyam rajāmah OM SHANTI SHANTI SHANTI
1: On that alone do we meditate, that alone do we worship, to that alone the witness of the universe do we bow. To that one who is our sole eternal support, the self-existent Lord, the raft to safety across the ocean of samsara, Do we come for refuge? Om peace, peace, peace. Good morning. morning. Glad to see everyone after a long time. Today or tomorrow, depending on which calendar one follows, is considered a very auspicious and sacred day. It's the day of Guru Purnima, the day on which we honor the spiritual teacher. And in our tradition, though each of us may have a different spiritual teacher, we feel that it is one guru shakti, one power of the spiritual awakening, which is passing through the different teachers. So on this day we honor that spiritual power that awakens us from the sleep of ignorance, and I thought that today would be a good day to talk about one of the great conduits of that spiritual power, Swami Ramhananda, who was the spiritual son of Sri Ramakrishna and the first president of the Ramakrishna order, and his picture is here. Of course, you have heard many times about uh, Raja Maharaj, as he is known, uh, but I think it doesn't matter because his life is uh, a great inspiration has been a great inspiration to me also. And the title of the talk is Struggle, Struggle, Struggle. When we look at the life of Swami Brahmananda, we find that this struggle is one of the keynotes of his life. First, in his own life, he struggled intensely to gain spiritual illumination and Afterwards, it was also one of his foremost teachings to his disciples that struggle is necessary. So that's something that we will uh, try to look at in this talk today. I should add also that in addition to this struggle, the other highlight of his life is joy, spiritual joy. He was not only immersed in joy and ecstasy much of the time but he could transmit that to others and being in his presence was called a mart of joy wherever he went there was a mart of joy so that mart of joy can be ours if we struggle for it the great world teachers like Sri Ramakrishna they bring their helpers with them these people are not like us. When we take birth, we are dragged here by our own past samskaras, our tendencies, our desires. The great souls who take birth to serve, they have only compassion, knowledge, wisdom. Swami Brahmanam, that was one such. Sri Ramakrishna called him an Ishwarakoti, a, a divine personality. Even among Sri Ramakrishna's disciples, he was special. A powerful teacher, not a saint merely, but we can say a saint maker. A real conduit of the guru shakti and established in God consciousness. Studying the life of a saint, however, is a little bit like studying an iceberg from above the surface of the ocean. We know that an iceberg shows about 10% of its total mass above the ocean, and the the other 90% of it is submerged, so we don't see it. Studying the life of someone like Swami Brahmananda is a little bit like seeing that 10%. Still, that's what we have to go with, so we'll go forward with that 10%. There are three phases of Swami Brahmananda's life which are significant and different. The first is his period of discipleship with Sri Ramakrishna. The second is his period of struggle, intense struggle and spiritual practice, tapasya. And the third is when he became a guru and the guide of the Ramakrishna order, the president of the Ramakrishna order and these three parts of his life are characterized specifically by first bliss in the company of Sri Ramakrishna then intense struggle, intense austerities and meditation and finally in the last portion great spiritual power and also great wisdom As I said, uh, Swami Brahmananda was pre-selected one of the chosen ones, pre-selected for the divine play of Sri Ramakrishna, for his mission. Sri Ramakrishna was burning with worldly company. He could hardly bear worldly talk, worldly people, and he prayed to the mother, Mother, please give me a pure-hearted boy with whom I can talk and share my spiritual experiences. Then he had three visions. In one of these visions the Mother placed, the Divine Mother that is, placed a boy in his lap and told him, this is your son. Now Sri Ramakrishna was a monk. He became a little worried. What do you mean, Mother? Am I to have a son? Uh, No, she explained, this is to be a spiritual son. On the day that Rakhal, the future Brahmananda, arrived at Dakshineshwar, Sri Ramakrishna had a vision of a beautiful lotus floating in the Ganges, a hundred-petaled lotus. Each petal was exquisite, and on that lotus was dancing the youthful Sri Krishna, the divine incarnation, and another with one of his companions, a cowherd boy. Shortly after this vision, Rakhal arrived, and he recognized him to be that boy. So he was not an ordinary person, but an eternal playmate of Sri Krishna, an eternal companion of the Lord. This fact was actually hidden from Swami Brahmananda for uh, his whole life. Sri Ramakrishna instructed uh, the others that he shouldn't come to know of this. If he comes to know of it, he may simply give up his body and return to his true abode. So only at the end of his life, on his deathbed, did he realize this. Uh, his true relationship with Sri Krishna. Swami Brahmananda was born in 1863, less than two weeks after Swami Vivekananda was born, and they became great friends even before meeting Sri Ramakrishna. In 1881 was the momentous occasion of the first uh, meeting with Sri Ramakrishna, and very quickly they developed a mother-son relationship. Sri Ramakrishna looked on him as his own son and himself in a way as Yashoda, as the mother of Krishna, the stepmother, of course. And it sounds kind of curious to us if we think about it, but uh, Swami Brahmananda would sometimes sit in Sri Ramakrishna's lap really, and Sri Ramakrishna would feed him and this was an 18 year old boy sitting in the lap of a 45 year old man it sounds a little strange to us but with Sri Ramakrishna these things would be completely natural those who would see it would feel it was completely natural even though to us now with hindsight it sounds peculiar so in the company of Sri Ramakrishna uh, Rakhal began to unfold his spirituality. He began to experience ecstasy. The magic touch of Sri Ramakrishna awakened the spiritual uh, spiritual consciousness in him, and uh, he began to repeat the name of God at all times. Sri Ramakrishna even points out that Rakhal's lips were all, were moving all the time. Why? Because He was constantly repeating the name of God. Now, he was staying at Dakshineshwar, and one reason was to help serve his guru, help uh, his guru and uh, look after him. But he wasn't able to do it. He became so absorbed in meditation and spiritual practices that he wasn't actually of much service to Sri Ramakrishna. In fact, Sri Ramakrishna often had to call him or send someone to call him and Latu to... uh, come and take their food. They were so immersed in meditation. The, Rakhal had one weakness at that time. He was jealous. His, uh, when Sri Ramakrishna would show love to anybody else, any of the other young disciples or any other visitor, he would get terribly jealous. But he overcame this. He went to Vrindavan for about a year. And there also he fell ill. Sri Ramakrishna worried terribly about him. He was worried also that in Vrindavan was the place of Sri Krishna's lila, that somehow in his illness that memory of his uh, true nature would reawaken and he would simply leave his body there. So Sri Ramakrishna worried a lot he recovered he returned and that jealousy was also gone he realized that his guru was not only his guru but the guru of all in Kashipur, Sri Ramakrishna had cancer of the throat and was moved to a garden house in Kashipur. and Rakhal of course was one of the inner circle of devotees who served Sri Ramakrishna intimately there And it was there that uh, they were bound together with an unbreakable cord of love, serving their master and forgetting even that he was ill. He had such a power of raising their minds and keeping them all in joy and spiritual consciousness. It was there also that he received the ochre cloth from Sri Ramakrishna, the Geroa cloth, and thus became... It was, you, one can say he was initiated into monastic life by Sri Ramakrishna himself at that time. After Sri Ramakrishna's passing away, we know that all the disciples were plunged into, on the one hand, terrible grief, and then they were inspired to undertake what seemed to us like incredible austerities. The monastery where the the first Ramakrishna monastery was in Baranagore. It was in an old, dilapidated building said to be haunted, populated by poisonous cobras in the ground floor, falling apart. They had almost no possessions at all. It's said that they had for some time only one good dhoti. So if anyone had to go out for any purpose into town, they would take that one dhoti from the line and put it on their bodies and go and take care of whatever they had to do and come back, hang it back on the line, and uh, like that. They had uh, sometimes no salt for their rice. Often they meditated all day, and Swami Rama, Krishnananda, Shashi Maharaj would pull them out of their meditation to feed them or they would be up all night singing devotional songs. Swami Vivekananda gives a little description of that time. He says, There were days at the Baranagore mutt when we had nothing to eat. If there was rice, salt was lacking. Some days that was all we had, but nobody cared. Leaves of the bimba creeper boiled, salt and rice. This was our diet for months. Come what might, we were indifferent. We were being carried along on a strong tide of spiritual practices and meditation. Oh, what days! Demons would have run away at the sight of such austerities to say nothing of men. Ask Rakhal, Shashi, and others. They will tell you. The more circumstances are against you, the more manifest becomes your inner power. as with a number of the other disciples, even this life of intensive meditation and austerity was not enough. Swami Brahmananda longed for the free life of a wandering sannyasin. And so he left in 1899, 1889 and spent nearly six years away from the monastery, sometimes with uh, Swami Subodhananda and Swami Turiananda and other times completely alone. They went to various holy places of India like Varanasi, Vrindavan, Kankal, Haridwar, Mount Abu, omkareshwar and many other places which we don't even know. And they visited many famous temples. Swami Brahmananda had many visions also in temples and would experience ecstasy Yet, he was still unsatisfied. We can say this is the mark of a great soul. An ordinary devotee, if, he or she, if we get just a little devotion, or if we are very fortunate, we get a, little, a vision of some kind, that's enough. We feel we are perfectly satisfied. We have really attained something in spiritual life. Swami Brahmananda was immersed in ecstasy much of the time and had many visions, yet he was not satisfied. This life of a wandering monk is characterized by utter dependence on the divine. That's the purpose of wandering about without any food, without any possessions, to fully establish oneself in utter surrender and dependence on the divine. They would take Madhukari bhiksha, that means they would beg from door to door, taking a little bit of food here and there, like a, as a honey takes nectar from various flowers, once a day they would eat. They had no shoes, no warm clothing. Swami Brahmananda would rise at midnight to uh, perform japa. We sometimes one may wonder why Why such an austere life? Swami Subodhananda asked Swami Brahmananda this this question. He asked him, he said, The master looked upon you as his son. You are the veritable son of the Lord. It does not become you to sit up like a beggar seeking his grace. Swami Brahmananda answered, What you say, brother, is true. The master loved us so dearly that he gave us everything he had to give. Still, we have not attained peace. This shows that it now lies with us to do the rest for the fulfillment of life's object. Uddhava was Sri Krishna's dear friend, yet Sri Krishna said to him, If you want to properly realize any spiritual truth, you must go to some solitary place in the Himalayas, And practice tapasya. I can grant you some miraculous visions if you like, but that won't be enough. It is much greater to contemplate and meditate on Him. Indeed, without meditation and contemplation, none can know anything about God. Vijay Krishna Goswami, another disciple of Sri Ramakrishna, also asked Swami Brahmananda the same question: Why so much? spiritual practice and then Swami Brahmananda replied succinctly I am only trying to become established in that vision of God which I received through my master's grace so yes he received received illumination through the touch of Sri Ramakrishna but he had to make that his own he felt driven to become fully established in that by his own efforts now, this tapasya is often translated as austerity, this spiritual struggle. But austerity is not really a very happy translation. Austerit, the word austerity has something disagreeable about it. Some, if we, have, if we go, undergo some austerity, we feel it's, perhaps it's imposed upon us. Whereas tapasya is something freely embraced it's a struggle which is freely undertaken by the spiritual seeker swami vivekananda gives a nice definition or discussion of this he says tapas means literally to burn it is a kind it is a kind of penance to heat the higher nature it is sometimes in the form of a sunrise to sunset vow such as repeating Om all day incessantly. These actions will produce a certain power that you can convert into any form you wish, spiritual or material. This idea of tapas penetrates the whole of Hindu religion. The Hindus even say that God made tapas to create the world. It is a mental instrument with which to do everything. And quoting everything in the three worlds can be caught by tapas. So tapas is a struggle to eliminate all negativity, all egotism, all the, to overcome all the internal obstacles that hamper our spiritual progress, to overcome, to burn out all the negative tendencies, to permanently and utterly establish oneself in God consciousness. What we see mostly in the case of Swami Brahmananda is the physical aspect of tapasya, this titiksha bearing all physical hardships with equanimity, heat and cold, hunger and thirst. But there's a much more there's a more important aspect, that's the mental aspect, which we can only guess at. It is keeping the mind all the time on God, not letting it waver at all, purifying it of passions, selfishness, impediments, renouncing, giving up all desire for anything other than the divine. Even, we can say, a struggle to go beyond thought itself, to go beyond the mind itself. Now the kind of tapasya as done by Swami Brahmananda and other disciples of Sri Ramakrishna is not possible for ordinary people like ourselves to undertake. Already they had very little body consciousness. They had the ability to plunge deeply into meditation, forgetting the body, forgetting hunger, forgetting thirst. But that doesn't mean we don't need some tapasya. Perhaps it will be a a much A different kind of tapasya, but we also need spiritual discipline. And that's what uh, Swami Brahmananda used to emphasize afterwards in his teachings. To struggle, to uh, undertake regular, methodical, systematic spiritual discipline. There are some interesting interesting incidents in the life of Swami Brahmananda during this period of spiritual struggle. Swami Turyananda for some time was looking after him and would beg his food for him. He would be meditating almost all the time and he would come out of his meditation to take his food at a certain time. Now, if Swami Turyananda was late coming back from his begging rounds, he would come out of his meditation, find there's no food, then he would start meditating again. He wouldn't take food that day. Next day, maybe he would take food. He used to rise at midnight for Japa, repeating the divine name. At Kusum Sarovar, one holy place in Vrindavan, one night he, over, he was a little tired and he overslept, and he felt someone give him a nudge. And first he thought Swami Turiananda was waking him up. And so he got up and then he saw the luminous figure of a Vaishnava saint with a rosary, a japa rosary and all the marks of a Vaishnava devotee. And he was standing there repeating his mantra, doing his japa. So every night for the, uh, after that, As long as they stayed there, Swami Brahmananda had the company of this Vaishnava saint uh, for his japa. He had already left the body, but still was there to help other spiritual seekers, evidently. So after a year alone in Brindavan, Swami Turiananda left him in in Brindavan and went back to the Bailur And he spent a a year alone in Vrindavan. And what happened during that year, we don't know. But we can understand that towards the end, he finally felt satisfied. He finally became fully established in God consciousness, in Samadhi, because he rather suddenly returned to Calcutta and uh, declared that he was ready to take up the work of guiding the Ramakrishna Mutt and mission. And that was the work with which Swami Vivekananda entrusted him. To uh, he made him the president and uh, entrusted all the workings of the Ramakrishna Mission to Swami Brahmananda. It was found that he had a keen uh, insight into the workings of other people's minds. So he was a brilliant administrator. He was able to. Uh, steer the new organization very skillfully there's one worthwhile incident which I'm sure most of us know but we like to remember these wonderful incidents there was a quarrel going on in Varanasi we have in Varanasi two centers side by side the Advaita Ashrama which is dedicated to non-dual knowledge and also meditation and worship and the Seva Ashrama, the home of service which is a big hospital where uh, God is served in the human beings and uh, in the form of sick human beings. Now there were two factions that rose up at a particular time. One from the Advaita Ashrama, one from the Seva Ashrama, each holding that their method of spiritual practice or their method of service was the most important and it started to become ugly, the Uh, There were factions and arguments and all that. And Swami Saradananda and Turiananda went to Varanasi, but they were not able to to sort out the problem. They were not able to reconcile the quarreling parties. And it is said that a senior monk, I imagine probably Swami Saradananda, found the ringleaders of these two groups and wanted to expel them from the monastery. So Swami Brahmananda was consulted. He said, Wait, don't do anything, I'm coming. So Swami Brahmananda came to Varanasi. And what did he do? Did he uh, call the ringleaders and interview them, give them a scolding? Did he uh, try to find out who was at the root of all this problem? No. He just made one stipulation. Everybody has to come meditate in my room. Every morning, all the monks had to go to Swami Brahmananda's room and meditate there. Afterwards, there would be singing and questions about, he would answer questions about spiritual life, spiritual practice. And within a month or two, the problem was dissolved. Everyone's mind had been raised to a higher level. This is the spiritual solution. This is the power of Swami Brahmananda to Solve uh, an intractable problem like that by simply raising the minds of those involved. Swami Brahmananda would grant spiritual initiation. As we know, this is uh, involves. Uh, Giving a mantra, and more importantly, uh, it involves a transfer of spiritual power. And when the uh, disciple is a fit disciple, it can lead to very quick spiritual growth. It helps in spiritual growth. Uh, Swami Vivekananda says, The seed must be a living seed and the field must be ready plowed and when both these conditions are fulfilled a wonderful growth of genuine religion takes place. So that's what we want is a wonderful growth of genuine religion. That means spiritual growth and Swami Ramalan had that living seed but he was a little reluctant to plant that seed. First of all, there's a scriptural injunction against uh, a guru having too many disciples. And then Sri Ramakrishna had warned Keshav Sen that Keshav had ex- himself accepted too many disciples and wasn't looking into the character of his disciples. So Swami Brahmananda uh, was not so eager to make disciples. Moreover, he would often fall ill after initiating someone. Somehow, he would take some of the karma, some of the negative energy of that person on himself and would fall ill as a result. So he was not uh, planting that seed very much. Holy Mother complained about this. Sri Sarada Devi, Holy Mother, she was also initiating, and she requested him to initiate more. But the turning point for him came when he saw a play on the life of Ramanuja, written by uh, Girish Chandra Ghosh. There is an incident in the life of Ramanuja when he received initiation from his guru and he was told by his guru uh, this mantra will give liberation. Whoever hears this mantra will get liberation. But he cautioned Ramanuja, don't reveal it to anyone. And Ramanuja asked, what will happen if I do? You will go to hell. So, Ramanuja left the guru and then he thought, well, if everyone who hears this mantra gains liberation, then I'm willing to go to hell for that. Let everyone be liberated. So he went to a crowded place and called people everywhere come, everywhere. come everyone, hear this mantra, it will grant you liberation. And the guru, when he heard about this, he became angry. He called him and, what is this? When Ramanuja explained that, no, I'm ready to go to hell, let the people be liberated guru also was pleased so this uh, Swami Brahmananda at this scene in the play Swami Brahmananda shed tears and somehow the gates of compassion in his heart were opened and after that he was much more liberal in granting initiation one of his disciples wrote about him I had never felt such a love before in my life It was the love of parents and the love of a friend all in one. Everyone had the same experience. Once I asked Swami Subodhananda, another disciple of Sri Ramakrishna, the reason for this all-satisfying love which emanated from Maharaj. The Swami replied, God is love. Maharaj has realized God. Therefore, he is full of love. To be in his company was to enter a mart of joy. There would be songs, spiritual ecstasy, inspiring teachings. Someone wrote, When you were in the presence of Maharaj, you completely forgot yourself. You felt you were in another world where there was no worry or grief, and where man was not man but divine you were filled with a peculiar joy which you could neither explain nor understand. This joy was really one of the special hallmarks of Swami Brahmananda about his life and reading about it, we also feel, yes, we also can attain that joy of spiritual life. This joyous nature of Swami Brahmananda also manifested itself in a different way. He used to play pranks on people. And uh, I'd like to share a couple of these pranks. One which most of, probably we all know these pranks. One of his favorite pranks was to have someone put a plate of sweets and fruits that a particular disciple particularly liked those kinds of sweets. He would have those Placed, while the disciple is meditating he'd have that plate placed beside him and then when the disciple would be finished with his meditation he'd find these sweets waiting for him then Swami Brahmananda would ask him so, did you get the fruits of your meditation? <laughs> there's also a very funny incident that I'd like to read out uh, related by Swami Satprakashananda uh, to gain the full humor of this we have to know that swami premananda and swami shivananda two of sri ramakrishna's disciples were strict vegetarians however swami brahmananda was not a strict vegetarian so satprakashananda ji writes one day at the beginning of the winter season in 1917 in the drawing room of balaram mandir maharaj asked me to bring him pen ink and a piece of writing paper when he began to dictate in English, I took down what he said. The letter was addressed to the abbot, Belur Monastery. At that time, Swami Shivananda was in charge at the Belur Mutt, as respected Swami Premananda was lying ill in the small room adjoining the Balaram Mundir. The gist of the letter w- was as follows. The Christmas celebration will surely be observed at your mutt. On that occasion, we, a party of monks, are coming to the mutt. Your hospitality is well known. Certainly, at the conclusion of the ceremony, according to the usual custom in Christmas celebrations, there will be an arrangement for the taking of drinks. We are non-vegetarians and are fond of varied courses of meat dishes, in anticipation of a sumptuous feast, we extend to you our heartfelt thanks. May your function be crowned with success in all possible ways. That is our earnest wish. When I had finished writing the letter, I handed it to him for his signature. But instead of putting his own name, he signed Premananda. Laughter and told me, go and read the letter to Baburam Maharaj, Swami Premananda, who was in the next room. Hearing the contents of the letter and finding his signature forged, Baburam Maharaj simply smiled and said, Maharaj has a childlike nature. Later Maharaj asked me to go to Bailarmat and deliver the letter to Swami Shivananda, but cautioned me not to mention that he had sent it. After reading through the letter, Swami Shivananda looked at me and said, laughing, Maharaj has sent this, is it not? <laughs> Without a word, I nodded my head a little. Mahapurushji understood silence is acquiescence. So like that, uh, we find the joy of spiritual life spilled over into this kind of playful, childlike prank, pranking, playing pranks. This book, *The Eternal Companion*, which many of you perhaps know, is a wonderful book about the life of Swami Brahmananda and his teachings. And certain themes stand out in those teachings: the struggle, that struggle is necessary; spiritual struggle, joy of spiritual life, contemplation, meditation, and japa. Swami Vivekananda says, "The first sign that you are becoming religious." is that you are becoming cheerful when a man is gloomy, that may be dyspepsia, but it is not religion. (laughs) So this is uh, Swami Brahmananda. I'd like to uh, talk a little bit about that, this struggle, this necessity of struggle. Sri Ramakrishna says, A little spiritual discipline is necessary. Through the practice of discipline, one gradually obtains divine joy. Suppose a jar with money inside is hidden deep under the earth and someone wants to possess it. In that case, he must take the trouble of digging for it. As he digs, he perspires. After much digging, the spade strikes the metal jar. He feels a thrill at the sound. The more sound the spade makes, striking against the jar, the more joy he feels. So, first perspiration and then joy. But some, some of us may find that this struggle business seems a little bit unfair. Life, after all, is full of struggle and we turn to religion, at least in religion we should get some solace. What is this struggle business in, in religion? We want we, we long for some peace and oftentimes when we first turn to spiritual life, we also get some peace. We get a kind of a conversion when the mind turns to the divine, the mind turns within. And we get perhaps we feel some devotion, we get some feeling of divine protection we feel this uh, wonderful feeling of surrender uh, surrendering to the Lord we feel like we found a refuge our meditation brings a taste of peace which we didn't have before so what is this struggle? but all this newfound peace this newfound devotion it seems to evaporate all of a sudden it's almost as if uh, we come to the Lord, and the Lord says, Here, have a, have a sweet. And we say, That's great. Uh, give me another one. Then he says, No. You've got to work for the next one. So, after the first taste of spiritual life, we have to struggle to, to become established in it. As with Swami Brahmananda, he first got the taste of spiritual life in the company of Sri Ramakrishna. Then he had to struggle. Sometimes spiritual life, in fact, seems like we're going downhill. But there's a wonderful simile given by Swami Ashokananda that I found very reassuring. He said, No, you're never going, you're never backsliding in spiritual life, you're always going forward. It's like climbing a mountain. When you climb a mountain, you first have to climb up some hills and you get to a nice uh, peak, a low peak where you get some nice view and some. And then you go down, you have to go. You have to go down into the next valley. You're going downhill, but you're still going forward. You're going down, but still going forward. Then again, you have to climb up the next ridge, and you climb up for a while, and then you reach a plateau. And again, you have to go down into the next valley. So you're going up and down, but you're always going forward. That was a very reassuring uh, simile. Swami Brahmananda says, You practice meditation and japa, you progress a little, then comes a period of dryness. It seems that the doors are entirely closed. At that time, it is necessary that you stick to your spiritual practices with infinite patience. By so doing, you will find one day that all of a sudden the doors are opened. What a great joy it is then! In spiritual life, Many such thresholds have to be crossed. So I'd like to turn now to some of the teachings of Swami Brahmananda, the, the, taken from the eternal companion. Struggle, struggle my boy, shake off all doubts. Plunge into your spiritual practices as taught by your guru. Never make a show of your spirituality, but always practice in secret. Sri Ramakrishna used to say, when you meditate, retire into a solitary corner or a forest and meditate within the secret chamber of your heart. Make a little effort for a time and you will discover what fun it is to live a contemplative life you will be transformed. Again he says, be self-reliant. Self-effort is absolutely necessary to success in the spiritual life. Follow some spiritual discipline for at least three years and then, if you find you have made no tangible progress, you may come back and slap my face. This is the assurance of Swami Brahmananda, that we will definitely get some experience, we will definitely make some progress if we work for it. Can we imagine approaching someone like Swami Brahmananda and slapping his face? But uh, he knew that there was no danger of that because if one really struggles, one is sure to make progress. He says, Have patience, infinite patience, until you reach the reality. In the primary stage, meditation is tiresome. It is like learning the alphabet. Gradually, peace comes. There are boys who, after they have been initiated, complain to me that they are not getting anywhere. I do not listen to them for two or three years. Then, later, they come and tell me, Yes, Maharaj, I am getting somewhere now. Do not be impatient. Struggle intensely for two or three years and your heart will be flooded with joy. This assurance of Swami Brahmananda gives us uh, zeal for the struggle. We need some zeal for the struggle. We get it in this assurance of Swami Brahmananda and afterwards we get it when we get that first taste that gives us the zeal to continue our struggle. Swami Brahmananda asked one disciple, How are you progressing with your spiritual practices? The disciple replied, Not very well, Maharaj. I find so little time for them. There is so much work to be done. Maharaj answered, Nonsense. It is a mistake to think that you cannot meditate for lack of time. The real cause is restlessness of mind. I think this is a very important point. In our lives, we often find that we, we, want, we say we want to practice meditation, but somehow we don't really find the time. We have too many other things to do. Swami Brahmananda would not accept this excuse. He would say, if really spiritual life is important to you, if this is your priority, then you make the time. This is just an excuse. japa 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 even while you work practice japa keep the name of the lord spinning in the midst of all your activities if you can do this all the burning of the heart will be soothed many sinners have become pure and free and divine by taking refuge in the name of god have intense faith in god and in his name know that they are not different he dwells in the hearts of his devotees. Call on him earnestly. Pray to him. Reveal your grace to me. Give me faith and devotion. Pray earnestly. Make your mind and your lips one. We'll have a moment of silence.
0: Oh. <Sýdga> Brahmanandam paramasukadam kevalam jnana murti dandvati gagagana sadrisham tattva masyadi laksham ekam nityam vimalam sarvadhi sakshi bhutam bhavati tantri guna Kainava ca mana cindriyena va buddhiyatmana va prakriti svabhavat karome yad sakalam paras may Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. To him who
1: is the embodiment of Brahmananda the bliss of Brahman. To him who is bestower of the supreme joy, who is kevalam, completely detached, and knowledge personified. To him who is beyond the pairs of opposites like heat and cold, pleasure and pain, who is vast as the sky and is indicated by such mahavakyas as thou art that. To him who is one, eternal, stainless, unmoving, the witness of all the changes in the mind, to him who is beyond all states and free of the bondage of the gunas, to the sadguru, the true teacher, the awakener, to him do we bow down in worship. Whatever we do through our body, speech, mind, senses, intellect, soul, or through innate natural tendencies, all that we dedicate as an offering to the supreme lord om peace peace peace